Now, Liechtenstein, in addition to being one of the most fun countries to pronounce, is also one of the smallest. It's about the size of Washington, D.C. It only has 40,000 citizens. In fact, it's so small that Liechtenstein hasn't had a standing army in over 150 years. But there's an interesting legend about one of its last military missions, and I really would like to share it with you this morning. Back in 1866, during the Austro-Prussian War, uh, Liechtenstein sent a large part of its army, 80 soldiers, to go and guard this mountain pass during the war. Now, in, in most war scenarios, you know, the best case is that all of your soldiers come back home. But at the very least, you want to minimize the casualties best that you can. Well, Liechtenstein went far beyond both of those things. Because, you see, not only did all 80 of their soldiers come back home, when they did a head count, they found that they actually had 81 soldiers. They gained an extra soldier during the war. There's a lot of debate about who that individual was, but considering the fact that the Lichtenstein soldiers, they didn't see any combat, they probably spent their time relaxing and hanging out, it's no surprise that somebody looked at them and said, yeah, I want to join that country. I want to be, I want to be a part of that. That's exactly what this individual did, went and joined and became a part of Lichtenstein. But now that they don't have a standing army, it's, well, it's a little bit harder to become a citizen of that country. Today, if you want to move to Liechtenstein and become a citizen, you need to live there as a resident for 30 years before you can apply. Yeah, that's long. Now, don't worry if you're still interested. There are a couple ways that you can shorten that time span. One is, if you're really friendly and people like you, you can go live there for 10 years and then see if you can convince your community to vote you in early. Or you could marry someone who's already a citizen and then you only have to wait five years. So clearly, they take citizenship pretty seriously. And you know what? So should we as Christians. Let me explain to you what I mean. If you're here and Jesus Christ is your Savior, then understand, no matter what earthly country we belong to as Christians, the Bible says we are citizens of heaven. That's our future home. We already belong to it through faith in Jesus Christ, which means that no matter what happens here, we will one day be there, believers. But in the meantime, we find ourselves on this earth. So, like everyone else in the world, we are citizens of an earthly country. But the Christian citizen should be unlike everyone else in the world. We're going to see that together this morning as we turn to Romans chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and take that Bible out and turn to Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, as always, I encourage you to use one of those Bibles on the seats in front of you. If you can find one of those, you can turn to page 900 and let's say 21, because I didn't look this morning. 921, you'll be in the vicinity there. Romans chapter 13. Now, last week when we were in Romans, we saw how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians in this life. And this morning, we're going to see how we are to conduct ourselves as Christian citizens. So let's look together. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Paul writes this. It says, let everyone be There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority 
is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Hmm. Let's stop right here. So Paul says that every Christian is to be subject to the governing authorities. Now that word subject, it's a, it's a military term in the Greek. It refers to rank and order. Government officials are of a higher rank than the citizens which they serve. And we need to understand that. All right, I have a neighbor whose son serves in the military, and he told me that he reminds his son that when it comes to a superior commander, it doesn't matter whether or not you like them. He tells his son, you serve the office, you don't serve the person. All right, a lot of you who have been in the military, you know all about that. Officials, so we're to follow their authority. Okay, Church, that means the first thing that we need to realize that sets Christian citizens apart is that we recognize rulers as being established by God. Christian citizens recognize that rulers have been established by God. God establishes them. God gives the right to mankind to rule and to govern. And he allows men and women to come into those roles. So to rebel against them is ultimately to rebel against God. Now, does this mean that God is at fault or, or, or responsible when rulers do something evil or wicked? No, that's not what that means. No, of course not. Those individuals, they still bear responsibility. It's true there are times that God allows even wicked rulers to come to power. We might not always understand why. Sometimes we might know. Sometimes God allows that for the chastening, the discipline of his own people. We see that in the Bible, like when God allowed Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, to come and defeat Judah and take the Jews captive. Why? Because the Jews were living in sin and idolatry. Other times, God allows wicked rulers to come to power as punishment on the wickedness of this world that rejects him. We live in a broken world due to our sin, so many times we get sinful leaders as a result. I mean, even wicked rulers ought to recognize their authority isn't their own. It just doesn't surprise us when they do not. In fact, I'm reminded of that wicked and spineless Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, historically, on more than one occasion, brutally killed many of the citizens that he was governing. But, of course, he was most well-known for being the one who sentenced Jesus Christ to death on a cross. And, you know, there's this amazing exchange between Pontius Pilate and Jesus, we read about in John chapter 19, where Pilate, he has the audacity to say to Jesus, he says, don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And that's when Jesus told him, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. It's God who gives power and authority, even to the wicked Pilate. Now, praise God, by his grace, that good rulers do arise from time to time. But good and bad, the Christian citizen is to be subject to them alike. You know, when Paul wrote this, he probably did not foresee the many detestable things that the Roman emperor Nero was just a few years away from doing. But God knew. And these commands hold true for Christians then, just like they do now, let me put that in perspective. Listen to how one pastor described Emperor Nero. He described Emperor Nero as one of the vilest beasts 
in human form who ever occupied a throne. A sensuous, sensual brute who ripped up the body of his own mother in order that he might see the womb that bore him. An evil, blatant egotist of most despicable character whose cruelties and injustices beggar all description. And yet God, in his providence, permitted this demon-controlled wretch to wear the diadem of the greatest empire the world had yet known. And this pastor said, if under such government Christians were called upon to be obedient, surely there is no place for sedition or rebellion under any government. See, church, this means that rather than becoming rebellious anarchists, Christians, well, we're supposed to be model citizens. We're to recognize that whether good or bad, God has allowed rulers to rule. And we're to be a good testimony to those around us by being subject to those rulers. Now, bear in mind that because they've been established by God, it's ultimately to God one day. Yet at the same time, understand that we will be responsible to the judgment of God and the judgment of government in how we respond to earthly authorities. So believers, let that response be in proper subjection. Let's also bear in mind that we're commanded in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to intercede in prayer for kings and for those in authority. The Bible says we're to do this so that we would live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is why in prayer meeting that we have every week here at the church, 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary, at prayer meeting we often pray for government authorities. We pray that they would act with godly wisdom, that they would do what is right, that they would do what is just, and that they would give their hearts to Jesus Christ. The public brutality of Nero was still some years away when Paul wrote this. But it wouldn't be long before Nero went on to persecute Christians in terrible ways, including crucifying them, including burning them at the stake. He would use them as human candles to light his gardens. And as that persecution finally grew close, the apostle Peter wrote to believers, and he also said that we are to submit ourselves to earthly authorities. He said that by doing so, we'll silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's in 1 Peter chapter 2. In other words, our righteous attitude and response toward government, we should be evident to others. Is it? Is it evident to others, though? Look at verse 3. Paul says, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So look, as a general rule, one of the responsibilities of the government is to bear the sword. All right? That is to uphold justice and to enforce the law. 
Right? Whether they succeed in that or not, they are to uphold what is right and punish to what is lawful for two reasons. One is possible punishment, and two, Paul says, is because of conscience. That is, we know that it's right to uphold the law. In other words, the next thing that sets Christian citizens apart is that Christian citizens recognize the rule of law and we follow it. We recognize the rule of law and we follow it. The only exception to this is when the government or some authority commands that which would be sinful or that which would prevent us from following God's commands. In other words, the Christian citizen obeys God first and foremost, and then we obey the statutes of human law. Or ungodly. In fact, we see this truth in Scripture. I'll give you a few examples. Pharaoh, in Exodus chapter 1, he told the Hebrew midwives, and when those Hebrew baby boys are born, you kill them. Well, they didn't do that. They disobeyed Pharaoh, and we're told that God blessed the midwives for doing that. King Nebuchadnezzar, who I mentioned earlier, he tried to force Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship a golden idol, but they refused the king's order. They were tossed into a fiery furnace, but God miraculously delivered them. Daniel chapter 3. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, they stood before the Jewish leaders who commanded that they stop preaching the gospel. But the apostles said, we have to obey God, not man. And that, that should be our understanding as well, church. Are we to obey the governing authorities? Yes. Well, the Bible makes that clear. But what is also clear is that the supreme authority in our lives as Christians is God. Therefore, we must obey him first and foremost. If any other authority should ever demand of us something that would prevent our obedience to God, then understand our obedience is to God first. Okay? This is the one time that our disobeying earthly authorities is, in fact, biblical. In fact, that's a scenario that Christians face all over the world, like our brothers and sisters in Iran. Christians in Iran, they face persecution from the government. Or they are regularly monitored. They're arrested. They're tortured at times. Churches are shut down. Christians can lose their jobs for their faith. Christian mothers can have their children taken away from them. The Iranian government, they don't want Christians to exist, and they certainly don't want them to freely gather and worship and share the gospel. But, but those things, fellowship, evangelism, worship, these are things that we've been commanded to do. And because of that, many Christians continue to do these things. Christians like Pastor Naveed and his wife Shadi, they risk everything to continue sharing the gospel in Iran despite government rules and prohibitions because they know this is what they've been commanded to do. And Pastor Naveed talks about how he knows many Christians who have been arrested and coerced by the government into no longer living out their faith. He talks about how his own brother and father are made to sign a commitment every week in front of police that they will not engage in any Christian activities. But Pastor Naveed, his wife, their family, that's not what they do. They choose to obey God's law first, and then they obey the law of the government, in that order. Now, do we face that same thing here in the U.S.? No. 
We don't face that here. Now, not often that the government here tries to interfere with churches. But believers, keep your eyes open, okay? There's a reason that I often mention our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. There's a reason. One reason is because biblically, in Hebrews, we've been told to remember our brothers and sisters who are in chains as though we were in chains with them. But another reason that I bring them up, and, and not just Christians in Iran and Iraq, Afghanistan and North Korea. Now, if you've been paying attention the last few months, I've mentioned Christians in well, the UK or in Canada, what they're going through. Believers understand that it will not be long before this godless culture comes for churches here. Even during COVID, we saw different state governments try and force churches to close. They threatened them with fines. They threatened pastors with prison time if they didn't comply. My point is this, church, keep your eyes open, okay? And the reason that I say this, not to scare anyone, is to prepare us so that we wouldn't be caught unaware if and when this day comes. Prepare in your hearts to follow God first and foremost. Then follow the rule of the land. In that order, church, we need to remember that. It's easy to do right now, but there may be a day where that's not so easy to do. So let's prepare our hearts, church. What Paul said in verse 6. He said, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Ah, taxes. I'm going to admit something to all of you. I know very little about the tax code. Shockingly little, really, considering that both my dad and brother are accountants. But anytime I have a tax question, I'll call my dad. He'll explain it to me. Then he'll explain it again, a little bit simpler. And then usually a third time, even simpler than that. And he'll always ask me, does that make sense? Usually the answer is no. There's a lot that I don't understand about the tax code. But one thing we do need to understand is that the third thing that sets Christian citizens apart is that the Christian citizen recognizes their responsibility to pay taxes. As citizens, the government has the right to tax us. Verse 7 says, give them what you owe them. That's why we pay taxes. All right. Now, do taxes bring us joy? Probably not. Probably not. But you know what? The, the Jewish people didn't bring them joy either. They have joy paying taxes to the Roman Empire. But what did Jesus tell them in Matthew chapter 22? He said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And you give to God what is God's. So we give what is owed. We do not cheat the system, believers. We do what is right in God's eyes. And God's word says, if you owe taxes, you pay taxes. You see, sadly, when Christians refuse to do this, they become a poor testimony in the world. Years ago, here in Florida, a pastor and his daughter, uh, they created a tax preparation business. Did this for a number of years. After a little while, it was revealed that uh, well, not only did that pastor fail to pay his taxes for a period of time, but together, he and his daughter prepared fraudulent tax returns on behalf of their customers to the tune of over $11 million in losses to the IRS. 
Now, the result, of course, is that they're both in prison. They're never allowed to help someone prepare a tax return again. They've been ordered to make financial restitution for their crimes. I want you to consider this. Consider how their decision to do what was unlawful and ungodly in regard to taxes has given an opportunity for the world to blaspheme the name of our great God and to slander his church. How foolish. Believers, I want you to think about this. If we can bring God honor by paying taxes, then maybe, just maybe, we need to recognize that every area of our lives is an opportunity to bring God glory and honor. Church, the whole thing this morning is for us to understand the greatest citizens that any country can have are godly citizens. Those are the model citizens. They're the ones who uphold God's righteousness who adhere to the law of the land. Listen to Titus chapter 3, what we're told. In Titus 3, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Does this describe us, believers? Does that describe each of us? Here's the truth for us this morning. Being great citizens who honor God is part of our testimony to the world. I really want us to understand this. That being great citizens who honor God is a part of our testimony. In other words, people, people will notice this. Let me explain it this way. I was blessed growing up. I grew up going to a Christian school. And in school, there's phrase that they always said when we played sports. They would always say, maintain your Christian testimony. So they always told us, maintain your Christian testimony on the court. And I knew what that meant. It meant be Christ-like, even when you play sports, all this sort of stuff. But I'm a big fan of asking the question, why? And I always wondered, why? Because in my mind, nobody ever came to Jesus because I was Christ-like on the basketball court. So it didn't make sense to me. When then one day I had a basketball coach who explained it to the team, he said, listen, he said, how you act on a court might never bring anyone to Jesus, but how you act on a court can turn people away from Jesus. Because we were a Christian school. People knew that that's what we professed to be as Christians. Look, maybe you're here thinking to yourself, being a good citizen is never going to point anyone to Jesus. I don't agree with that. I think that it certainly can. But at the very least, believers, understand that when people see professing Christians living with disregard for the law and disrespect for governing authorities, that can push people away from Jesus. That leads people to slandering our great God. Now, church, let's be model citizens. The one that the Lord calls us to be. Let's obey him first and foremost and then be subject to the governing authorities to respect the rule of the land, to pay trusting that he will give us opportunities to point people to Jesus Christ. Yeah, but maybe you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior. Never given your life to him. And if that's true for you, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, Andrew, this kind of does sound like rebellion. A little bit of anarchy. Talking about following God before you follow the rule of the land. Uh, and if that's what's running through your mind right now, 
just on a very practical level, I think we can all admit that uh, human governments are always run by humans and that all humans are flawed, make mistakes. Many times we do very evil things. That's why governments are flawed, make mistakes. Some of them do very evil things. But you see, God is not flawed. God does not make mistakes. God does know evil. No, he is perfect. He's righteous. He's holy. He's just and he's pure. That's why we follow God's law first and foremost. But more than that, friend, if Jesus isn't your Savior, I also want you to understand this. There are a lot of people in this world who are looking to human governments to, uh, to save them. To save them from poverty or sadness or sorrow or to give their life great meaning. And even if governments could do these things, understand that no government can ever save your soul. No government can ever guarantee you anything after this life. No, only our great and perfect and righteous and holy God can do that. And that's exactly what God wants to do. God wants to save you from an eternity separated from him in hell. God wants to forgive you of all your sins, all the evil things you've ever done. God wants to give you eternal life. The guarantee that when this life is over, you will be with him forever. God wants to do that. In fact, God promises those things to you if you will give your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have never made that decision, if you are here and you do not know that you know that you know that when this life is over, you're going to be in heaven for all eternity. If you don't know that, don't leave that way. Don't leave that way. You can come, you can talk to me during this final song that we're going to have. I'm going to ask Pastor Brandon to go to the back. You can talk to Pastor Brandon in the back. But if you're here and you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you can do that right now. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Friend, if that's true for you, if you're here and you know that Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready to change that, understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid the penalty. He powerfully rose from the dead, and now he's standing in heaven waiting to forgive you of your sins, pardon you from the penalty of hell, and give you eternal life. And if you want to do that right now, where you're sitting, you can cry out to Jesus Christ. You can pray to him in faith. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to be your savior. Go to him with a sincere heart. I promise you, if you go to him in prayer by faith, I promise you on the authority of God's word, he will save you. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, help us to understand that we are to be model citizens. And the greatest citizens that we can be would be citizens that point people to you by living according to your law, by living righteously. And then who are subject to the governing authorities and the laws of the land, so long as they do not conflict with your laws, which are so much greater who pay our taxes, and who instead of grumbling and complaining are instead found constantly rejoicing because of you. I, I pray that you would help us to understand that there are gospel opportunities all around us in our attitudes and response to government, to taxation, to so many things in our lives, if we would only go about things in a way that pleases you, you would open up many gospel doors for us. Help us to see that. 
And when those opportunities are presented to us, help us to be faithful to share the gospel. And Father, if there is anyone here today who still hasn't made that decision, hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ, I pray they would do that before they leave. Help us to be, as Christian citizens in this country, citizens who bring you glory and honor. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.